So this is the first time that this has ever happened. I actually have two different guests with the same name. I have Ryan Jones and I have Ryan Jones. So this Ryan Jones, we will call Ryan William Jones or Ryan W. Jones. And he is an author, published. He has a pretty cool story, which we'll dive into in the podcast. But if you check him out on social media, I'll tag him in the description. Go look at his book. Search it up on Amazon. The, the best part is, honestly, we didn't know each other. I found him in my IG story, and then I looked him up, and I was like, this is the perfect guest. When it came down to it, like we both stumbled across each other, and we enjoyed that conversation, so I hope you do too. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at Yeg Fitness. Welcome to episode 79 of The Lifestyle Chase. I am joined by someone with the same name as a guest that I've already had, but this guy is unique, special, and his name is Ryan William Jones. So thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be a part of this. You bet. What, what's the weather like over there? Oh, it's it's beautiful. I mean, California is, I don't even think we get weather extreme. You know, our, our weather extremes is the wind blows over an umbrella and we, we start to panic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's getting, starting to get a little colder, but, um, you know, it's, it's nice. Sun's out. It's, it's not too bad. What a dream. Today in Edmonton, it snowed. So, like, <laughs> I had, I think, six clients scheduled, but because of the snow... Four of those clients had to cancel, but that's just, that's the life of a personal oh. trainer. <laughs> but it's just funny, the yeah. contrast. So what's your, what's your morning routine like? Like, how did you start your day today? Um, I wake up every, I've done the same thing now for, this is in my book. Um, I like listed out my morning routine. I think it's so important to have um, you know, a routine that you go through in the morning, just because if, if you don't, it kind of throws me off, you know, I get, you know, my, my mental state gets a little bit weird, you know, I, I start to, um, scramble a little bit, so I start my morning every day, I, uh, the very first thing I do is I chug, um, a water, you know, full water, I get really dehydrated, especially when I sleep, so I chug a thing of water, um, and then I shower, and then I jump right into, um, one hour of, of a full routine. I kind of, um, Hal Leroy wrote uh, The Miracle Morning, and he does this thing called Savers. Are you familiar with Savers? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's drastically changed my life. I kind of adapted my own way of doing it, but essentially it's, um, you saw it Savers, so it's, it's one minute of each of these. So S is for silence. Um, basically, you spend... You know, just one minute in complete silence. You're not even meditating. You're just basically 
just completely silent. You're not starting your day in a rush. You're just kind of, I'm going to be where I'm at right here, one minute of silence, right? Um, a for affirmations. So I have a bunch of uh, different affirmations that I say in the morning that are, um, I don't get too, too carried away with it, just to kind of, you know, I'm happy, I'm, I'm confident on, the, on those things, you know. Um, and then I jump into visualization, which is a B, kind of visualize, you know, what I want for the day or, you know, my future, what I want that to look like. Um, and then E for exercise is, is I, you know, I'll drop down and do some push-ups or some sit-ups or something just to get my blood going. Um, and then R is for reading. I usually read, maybe I'll read like a, I try not to, to do too much screen time in the morning. So if I'm, you know, if I'm reading a book or if I'm reading daily devotional or, or kind of whatever it is, you know, I just kind of, um, you know, read for, for a minute or two just to, get my eyes going, get my brain kind of functioning a little bit. Um, and then the last thing is, is scribe, which is um, writing. So I write, this is the one that takes a little bit longer, so I write, um, I write three things I'm grateful for, three things I'm committed to. I write um, a few words to describe my state of mind, like, you know, am I happy today? Am I angry? Am I, am I mad at the weather? Am I mad? You know, whatever it is, just kind of whatever my state of mind is at that time. And then immediately following that, I write a joke to calm the storm. So, you know, I'm a writer myself, so I, I, I write my own jokes or, you know, I'll hear a joke and I'll kind of make it my own. And, and it just kind of, I love dad jokes, so it kind of sets my mood like, oh, you know, like even if I'm having a rough day, if I'm having a rough morning or whatever, it just kind of resets my mood to be like, oh, okay. You know, that, that made me laugh. That was funny. Like this morning, I think I wrote... Um, I don't like that tree. It's shady. <laughs> you know? Like it's, it's, it's just so dumb, you know, it's just so dumb, but it, you know, I think dad jokes are, are unique and in, in, in their own, just in that sense of just being, you know, just being completely dumb. It just sets your mood to be like, all right, that was funny. You know, so when I do that and then I do, um, I do three to five goals or I call them small wins that I want to get done that day. Um, you know, typically, I try to start with with things I know I can accomplish. I know there's there's a lot of psychology behind this about trying to do the hardest thing first um, and getting that out of the way. And I, and I think there is some merit there, but I think for me, it's always been easier for me to try to, you know, get a couple small things done first. Um, and then that kind of domino affects me into, into getting more challenging things done throughout the day. So... Um, one of my daily goals, no matter what, even if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm currently writing a, a second book right now, so my writing routine is a little bit more lengthy, but um, no matter what, even if I'm not writing a book or if I'm not writing a blog or anything, I, I try to write 200 words. I call them 200 crappy words per day. And what that means is basically, you know, if I can, if I can just get 200 words down on a piece of paper, even if it's not perfectly edited or if it's just, you know, if it's, if it's just 200 words, they don't have to be well-written or anything, then I'm, I feel accomplished. I feel like I, I I got something done that day. So, yeah, I make it a daily goal to do 200 words. So, anyway, yeah, that's the majority of my morning routine. Usually that I try to stretch all of that out into, into about an hour, so then I usually feel really accomplished. And the last thing I do in the morning is, is make my bed. You know, under a, that's been a, um, I forget the name of the general who wrote that book. Have you read that book, Make My Bed? Uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't know. I can't remember who wrote it. 
I can't remember his name either, but he, I read it it's very shortly, I think it's like 100 pages, um, but that was, I remember it being a phenomenal book because it, it's just about, you know, whether you have a good day or a bad day, if you, if you make your bed and you, um, it's the first victory in the morning, you got something done, right, you feel organized, and then when you return home from that day, you know, you're, you're, you look at the bed and it's completely done, and there's days it's just been terrible, you know, but I'll come back and I'll see my bed, man. I'm like, all right, I got something done today, you know, so that's, that's something I try to do every morning. Yeah. But anyway, sorry to drag you on there, but that's my morning routine there. It's really cool to hear your routine, and the neat thing is how different everybody's routine is, and sometimes people have expectations. They're like, oh, I should have a routine. Well, everybody's different, but you're able to articulate your reason for doing everything, and just that perspective mm-hmm. is pretty empowering for, for other people to understand, okay, well, like, I mean, he's he's an author. Like, he's got to have some kind of a process to stay on track because if you want to put out content in any shape or form, like, you, you have to have a process, you have to stay consistent, and you just have to make it work, and that's what works for you. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, the challenging thing is, is I don't have someone telling me what to do every day. You know, like, I don't have a boss or I don't have um, a deadline. Well, sometimes I do with some writing a book or, you know, I have to have certain writing deadlines or something. But for the most part, I'm my own boss, right? So I have to be self-motivated, you know, and, and I don't, it's not like I receive a paycheck at the end of the week as a reward for getting my work done today. It's, you know, sometimes I only get paid, you know, for my book. My first book is, is four times a year, you know, it's once a quarter. So, um, you know, I just have to be, self-sufficient I have to really be motivated and for someone and I'm sure we'll dive into it but for someone who struggles with depression and mental health um I it's it's tough for me sometimes to motivate myself you know because life's a challenge you know sometimes I just don't want to do it sometimes I'm just you know sad or whatever the feeling is and so I have to find ways to to create small wins in my life whether that be the morning routine or to make my bed or writing the 200 words, if I can accomplish those small things, you know, then I, no matter what, at the end of the day, I do feel accomplished. You know, I feel like, okay, I got, I got something done today. Um, and those, those are the things that make all the difference. I totally so. understand that. Like, especially with, like, you talk about making the bed, because that is something that is accessible to most people that would be listening to this podcast. Because when you think about it, a person listening to the podcast, they have a phone, they have an internet connection or they have the Wi-Fi for McDonald's or something like that. And they probably, probably have somewhere to sleep where they can make that bed. And that is a thing that they have access to every day. And then they can either leave it a mess or they can set themselves up as if like things are good. And then that's going to frame the outcomes of the rest of their day, which a lot of us really take for granted. We take for granted these little things that we can do to like, basically set up the rest of the day. Well, well said. Well said. You know, I think the, um, and I, this is, I won't get into it too much because I want to talk about it a bunch of my second book that I'm writing is, um, basically the premise is small wins are the key ingredient to sustain happiness. You know, the smallest things are, are what create happiness in our lives. If we can get those small things done, it will all know effect into larger accomplishments, I think. I agree completely. So I'm curious, who are three people that you really look up to in your life? And it doesn't have to be famous people. It can just be the first three people that pop into your head. Okay. Um, I'll say my dad first. 
Um, my dad is is a remarkable man. You know, he's uh, he's provided for all of us. He's at every baseball game. We, you know, I have a brother and sister, and um, he works long days, but he would you know make it home in the middle of the day to be at our games or be at our practices, and and then turn around and go right back to work after that to provide for us. He's He's the definition of what it means to be an honorable man and to provide for your family. And um, he's, he's loved my mom unconditionally. And he's just been a good role model as, as a father. And um, he's what you want as a father. And, and I know that I fought him for years. And, and then all of a sudden, I went, I'm probably going to raise my son exactly how he did. You know? So, um, yeah, that'd be the first one. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. I don't know him personally. Um, I do look. You know, Aaron Sorkin is a um, he's a screenwriter, and he wrote he wrote a few Good Men. He wrote Social Networks. He wrote. Um, he's a very, very, very talented writer. Um, I've taken a master class, and I've um, just read a bunch of stuff on him. And um, you know, he's got a really interesting routine as well. He uh, he takes. I read an article recently that um, he takes six to eight showers per day. And his methodology is, is um, he's not like a clean freak or anything like that, but he strictly, he in his mind, it's, if I can start over, that means sounds like if he has a bad day writing, you know, if he, if he starts writing and, he, and he's not doing well, he'll go take a shower and then he'll change his clothes and it's a, it's a redo, he gets to start over. And I thought that was genius. I'm like, I don't know how many times I wanted to just start the day over and that's a, that's a way to trick your mind into, into doing so. Um, so yeah, him, and then um, I think, oof, I love J.K. Rowling, but I think I already said a, a writer, so I'll go with, uh, I like Tony Robbins, I think, um, I read all of his books, I quoted him in my in my first book, um, I think his, his drive and his passion and um, what he's done for, I don't know, the world and, and self-help, the self-help industry, what he's done, just and transformation and, and helping people, I, uh, I, he's a definite role model to look up to. So, um, hope I answered your question. I know you wanted, I gave you one, somebody I know at least, and then somebody, two other people that I don't, so. Totally, you nailed it, that was perfect. But, I'm gonna spin this on you, because right. like, you, you mentioned J.K. Rowling, and I totally agree, I look up to her too. But I wanna know, what are, what are your reasons for picking her? What stands out to you about J.K. Rowling? Um, well, I'll tell you, she, uh, she said a quote that said, rock bottom became a solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. And I've lived by that quote for the last four years because it's, it's the exact same thing happened to me. Rock bottom became a solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. Um, I was in a rough, rough place, you know, three years ago and, um, I turned my life around and, and I think that we forget as people that we can all be whoever we want, whenever we want. You know, we, our situations and circumstances are defined by time, you know, if, if we can change our lives at any moment. And J.K. Rowling, you know, she was on welfare. She was, you know, riding the train to work and her husband had left her and her mother just died. And, and then on the train on napkins, she wrote Harry Potter, you know, and, and that, that's inspiring and, and it's just, her struggle and her coming out of that struggle and I, and just the fact that she reached billionaire status and then 
giving away millions of dollars to charity took her below billionaire status. And, like, what other person in history has ever done something like that? You know, like, it's, she's just very, very inspiring. Yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm glad you were able to, like, articulate that the way you did, because that's the exact same way that I would if I was describing her, which says a lot about a person and how they describe others. Like, what they see in others is what they see in themselves. And I definitely, I saw your post the other day about, like, what life was like for you four years ago, but a lot of people that are listening to this podcast might not know anything. So I, I kind of want to take a time machine and like you told me about how your day started today. Now let's go back in time four years and how did your day start then? Oh man, morning routine. I didn't even know what that was years ago. Um, I lived in San Diego, which is um, you know in California, and I worked in the nightlife industry. Um, a couple buddies in line. Um, and I started a, a promotional company. So we worked in clubs and we did, you know, we did bookings, with, you know, talent bookings for, um, you know, a lot of artists and then we would, you know, just promote shows and stuff and, um, business was going well, but what I was doing to my body just, you know, I was killing myself every day. You know, my morning, what did my morning look like? My morning was 12 noon when I woke up because I spent all hours of the night partying until 6 a.m. Um, and I was in the worst place of my life. And, you know, three years ago, I stood on the side of my building deciding if I wanted to be alive anymore. You know, it was a time when I had nothing in my life to hope for and only myself to blame for it. Um, and it, that rock bottom absolutely became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. Yeah. I, uh, found a letter that my sister had written on um, on that day I looked over, I was on the side of the building, I, on the ground with a journal. She gave me a journal for my birthday, and, you know, I kind of tossed the journal to the side, I'm like, what do I need this for? You know, I don't need some stupid journal, and um, I don't know what it was, but something told me to pick that up when I was standing on the ledge, and, and I looked to the left, and I found it, and I opened it up, man, I sat down to the ledge, I opened it, and I read a letter she wrote me, and it changed my life. It's what sent me on the path to, to find myself again. You know, I, I owe um, all my life to her. She saved me that day, and she's she's remarkable, man. And, and every way a person can be, she is. She's remarkable, and and she saved me that day. I still have that letter. It's actually the uh, the prologue to my book. It's the intro to my book, that letter, and I still read it. I read it once a week, and I still cry every time. I'm like a baby, you know, and but I think about all the things and obstacles I've overcome in the last few years, and and it started small. It was just, what can I do today to help get me through, you know, the, the struggle I'm dealing with, the the mental, you know, deterioration. You know, I was decided sobriety was the route I wanted to go, so I battled now with sobriety. It was I tried, you know, oh, I just want to do 30 days completely sober, you know, and then I would I would do four days and then drink again, or you know. So finally, I, you know, I hit the year sober mark, and that was that was a victory. That was such a victory, and I've lost since. I've lost 60 pounds. I've um, finally turned fitness. That was I was 255 pounds, and an alcoholic, you know, drug abuser, and and I just I remember like it was yesterday, you know, when I was in that room after that. I read that letter from my sister. I 
I sat down and cried against the wall and then I pulled out a notebook and I wrote out everything I didn't like about myself. And it's such a, such a pitiful, you know, list. And, but I realized that after reading that list of all the things I didn't like, I said that things were bad, but you know, not bad enough where they couldn't be fixed. And I just went down that list one by one and started solving all the problems, you know, finances, finances, um, fitness, sobriety, all the things. And I just started crossing off the list and, I stand before you today, man. Like, I'm just glad to be here. Just happy to be alive. And you know, I love my sister, love my family, and, and just I'm honored to be here. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And I like that story because, honestly, it's there's a lot of people in my life that uh, have had that same moment where something like a letter or a text message made all the difference. And I'm wondering if you're okay with sharing what it was in the letter that really stood out to you. Yeah, it was, um, you know, someone out there saw the good in me. You know, I um, spent years doing so many bad things, you know, treating people poorly and um, taking advantage of people, manipulating people and um, searching for only money. I wasn't searching for any sort of purpose in my life. I was um, financial, you know, security was like the only thing I was after. I just wanted to make millions of dollars and not help anyone along the way and just do it all myself. And she wrote me a letter about, um, just the love and the compassion that I, I did have deep down that I, and she didn't even, it wasn't like she said that I had forgotten about it or that I, you know, it wasn't there anymore. She said that she, has always seen the good in me and always seen the love I have for other people and I cherish other people in my life. I love hearing new perspectives, new ways of thinking, new um meeting new people, laughing with new people and and I I had forgotten that along the way and she exposed that to me again and um she just told me she loved me. She told me that we would change the world together and um and she was only seventeen years old when she wrote it. Um I think was 16 or 17, and, and just what a remarkable person, man. To, to, and she had no idea what I was going through. That's another thing, too, that she, you know, she lives 100 miles away. We, we didn't talk very much, or, you know, I tried to talk once in a while to her, but she didn't know that I was, I was dealing with alcohol abuse, and I was dealing with depression, I was dealing with anything like that. So she just wrote me a letter for my birthday saying, hey, I, just, I love you, you know, and um, it changed my life, and I read it, you know. Again, it's it's probably my book, so I read it as much as I can. I'll pick up the book and just read that. It's like the when I'm having a hard time, I read that. I think about how how many times I wanted to give up, and she wouldn't let me. You know. I think it's amazing, and it it just goes to show like nobody really knows what anybody else is going through, but it doesn't mean you can't say things that you mean, like heartfelt, meaningful things. I think some people are scared of being a little bit too sappy or being too wordy or like or like saying too many nice things like certainly nobody needs to be a jerk to each other but it's just like if if you have something that you want to express to somebody or just like a sentiment or something like sometimes that's going to come at the right time like sometimes just saying I love you to a friend is going to come at the right time you know Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, everyone's fighting the battle, man. I think that it's a certain, a simple smile or, you know, hey, I hope you have a good day or 
I just I, I wrote this in a recent blog post that uh, we just we don't really ask the right questions anymore. You know, we ask, um, you know, how's your job or how much money are you making or did you buy the house or this as if it's a grocery list. But you know, we um, we don't ask the right questions like, are you happy? You know, or you know, are you struggling? What can I help you with? And those are the questions that matter, man. Those are the ones that that make you think, that make you go, okay, I'm in struggling and I could use some help. And I could, you know, I try to be as vulnerable as I can with people now. With, um, if I am struggling, I'm very honest with that. I'm very, hey, I'm having a rough day today, you know, I could use some help. Or I think that we don't want to ask for help anymore because we don't want to admit that, um, or admit failure, admit that we don't have it figured out. And the only way we learn is by asking for help. You know, the only way. That's what it comes down to. And I asked for a bunch of help along the way, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have published the book, I wouldn't have done anything if I didn't ask for help. It's so true. Like, a lot of people will think, oh, I would be a burden to that person, or, oh, they don't have time for me. But honestly, it's just like, open the lines to communication and be really, like, clear and real about where you are, and a lot of people are going to want to be someone for that person that needs someone, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you realize too that everyone around you may be struggling too. You know, when when you're able to be vulnerable and ask for help, you realize you're exposing a lot more people around you. Like, hey, they're struggling too, man. We can help each other. You know, I mean, especially as males, man. We don't want to admit failure. We don't want to admit that we don't have it all figured out or that we don't have the answers. You know, but then we allow ego to get in the way of what we're trying to accomplish. You know, and I allowed my ego to, to run my life for years, for absolutely years, man. And it wasn't until I put my ego aside and I said, hey, I need some help that things started changing in my life, you know. I certainly don't have all the answers now, and I know that for sure, but I, I do know that I'm on my way to, you know, to, to being where I want to be for the wife that I end up marrying, for the kids that I end up having, you know, and being the father that my father was to me. Totally. So what kind of led up into you having a career in like the nightlife? Yeah, so we um oh man, we were we were in college in San Diego and honestly man, none of us wanted to get jobs. We came down to when we graduated it was like none of us wanted to to go into the work field and, and work an eight hour job and go home and stuff. So we said, What can we do that's fun and um, you know that that people like doing. We knew people like partying, and so we were like, "How do we how do we capitalize on that?" So we started running party buses from um, where we lived was San Marcos, so it was about say about forty minutes from downtown, and so where all the action was 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 downtown. You know, all the clubs and all the you know the big concert venues and anything like that it was all downtown. Even the stadium, the Padres Stadium, is downtown. And so we said, "Well, how do we get people from there?" Um, to be so we started running buses and then I called all the clubs and I said hey we have a group of 200 people that want to come to your club how much will you pay me to, to bring all these people to your club some would say no you're lying or whatever you know because that was unheard of so to just show up on someone's doorstep with 200 people um, was just unheard of you know so they were running buses already from like San Diego State or like some other closer places but never as far as we were we had a niche market and so it just worked out. Finally, we got some, some deals, and 
it took a lot of negotiating, man. It took a lot of, we're just some, you know, 21, 22-year-old kids. Like, what do we know? And sure enough, we were showing up with, it exploded quickly, man. It just went from, like, you know, 100, 150 people, and then we were bringing, like, four or five or 600 people down, and word just spread rapidly. So that, you know, catapulted us into getting contracts, weekly contracts at all these clubs, and, and then we started playing on the shows, then we started booking the talent, and then we started... um you know, just the creative, like what was going to happen. We we dress people up in in Cookie Monster. Like when one time we we dressed a guy up in a Cookie Monster costume and had him at two a.m. walk around the club giving cookies out to everyone. You know, it's just it's just things like that that we did. Man, we we had all kinds of. We just uh, you know the Chick Fil A Chick Fil A cow and you know, Chick Fil A mountain and you know throw out chicken sandwiches and. We did all kinds of fun stuff, man. And, and that was the, honestly, I, you know, I'm not very proud of a lot of the things we did just because alcohol was at the forefront of our business, you know, but um, I am proud of, of the creative and the fun we had. You know, we, here we were, you know, four, four, five best friends trying to start a business together and all of a sudden it just exploded. You know, we were, we were making, you know, great money and we were all living together and it was paying our bills and, we were having the time of our lives. Um, yeah, but then we allowed, and I say we, mostly mostly me, and uh, they, you know, I was the, the owner and the operator and, the, and running it, and I just allowed my ego to take over, and, and alcohol took over, and it just kind of destroyed our business. And so, inevitably, I was forced to leave, and uh, the company kind of, you know, we, we all sat down at different times, and then it folded, and... It was sad, and I think that's what drove me to stand on the ledge, was because I I love the the creativity that we got to do, and uh, we did a lot of fun things. We did a lot of fun shows. We met a lot of a lot of celebrities. We worked with a lot of celebrities, and you know we were behind closed doors with those celebrities. We did all kinds of different things, you know, and, and I went straight to my ego, and I allowed my ego to get the best of me. So that that's like an empowering story, fun. though. Like, <laughs> For, for a person, because, like, I, I checked Amazon and I found your book there. So, like, your book is super accessible. So, a person can find that easily. But then they're going to see it as, like, oh, like, this guy, he's just a good guy. He's never done anything wrong, you know? Like, people, people draw those conclusions. So, to have this in the podcast where then they understand, like, where you've come from makes a huge difference mm-hmm. then then you become so much more relatable to the people that might need you the most because like i worked in a bar for about a year and like i know how it can be like it's tough it's tough mentally to be up all night to be around mm-hmm. alcohol to it's it's an environment that can turn dark very very quickly yeah you nailed it man it, it, <laughs> it does turn dark quickly if you, if you allow it to you know and and I did. I definitely allowed it to. And you know, I, and you you nailed it on the head too. And you said helping someone. You know, my main ambition with this book was certainly not to sell a million copies. You know, like I, I, I and that's not logical. My my ambition with it was to help five people not get to the place I got to. If I can do that, then I know that I. I'm fulfilled with it, and I feel accomplished. I feel like it, it served its purpose. You know, like it's 
it's tough out there, and, and I and I definitely wrote that in the book as well. And I don't have all the answers, and you're not going to find all the answers by reading this book, but you will find the pain and suffering that I went through and how I came out of it. You know, I'm an expert in my own pain, is what I always say. I'm not an expert in clinical psychology. I'm not an expert in in all the life answers and, and all those things. I'm I'm an expert in my own pain and and how I, along with a lot of people that helped me solve those problems. I like it. That's a great way to put it. So you had your business partners and you were best friends with them. Do you, are you still keeping in contact with them? Uh, we spent a lot of time apart. Um, and now uh, we've reconnected over the last, uh, about a year and a half. They came to my book signing. All of them came to my book signing, which was, really really awesome of them to do you know I put them through the ringer I did a lot of bad things for a lot of years and um, and they you know they accepted my apology and I, I you know told them sorry individually all of them and then um, they accepted it which is really speaks volumes to the kind of character that those guys have you know um, so yeah we have reconnected and um, one in particular I talked to at least it's not every day, every other day, every couple of days. We live uh, not close together anymore, but we still talk and we help each other a lot. You know, hey man, what are you struggling with today? And um, we, it's definitely been good having them back in my life again. Totally. And that's, that's yeah. important. Like, it's basically, you kind of have to have like a community or like your people maybe have like one or two friends that you can just like talk about anything with to the extent that you could just tell them you're having a bad day and just like lay it all out on the table because without that mm -hmm. it's pretty tough and I think a lot of people it's just like they're scared like we're when you were kind of figuring out about yourself and figuring out just how dark of a, a hole you're in was it scary to talk to people about it oh that's really terrifying man it was so terrifying because I think because I acted and I, I put on a front, like I had it all figured out for so long. For so long, I did. Um, and especially my parents, my brother and sister, you know, they had no idea what was going on in San Diego. I told so many lies and they fabricated the truth in so many different ways. And, and so I didn't even know who I was anymore because I had told so many lies over the years. So when I finally stopped running and I turned around and faced those head on, it was very very challenging for me it was and i wanted to give up countless times but again I, back to your point on, on having a community around you that's what it takes you know and you have to have a community of people that that want to help you and and i didn't me i was i was the last person on the planet that deserved to have a community around me because i treated everyone so poorly for years but once they saw that I was trying to better my life and I was trying to, to make changes and be a better person, they were more than willing to help. And, you know, to those people, I'll take this time. Again, I've already thanked them thousands of times, but I will again on this podcast thank all those people. And, and they know who they are because they, they stepped to the plate when things got rough. You know, they did. And it's, you know, thank God I have a community of people, you know, for sure. Absolutely. Um, did you feel like you were weak for, for reaching out to people or did you feel like you just did something really scary? Um, I think, I think there is 
definitely regret. And, and yeah, I'm sure weakness was something I felt, you know. But I think that once you tried to do everything on your own and it didn't work out, you're when you get to that point and you don't have anything else to turn to and, and you know that you can't do it on your own, I think that you're you're back against the wall, so you, you better get okay with asking for help. Because if you can't, then it's going to be really challenging to do it alone. You know, probably not. You're probably not going to be able to. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I felt weak. And, and you still do. I think that because, again, we, we as human beings, we want to, males especially, we want to conquer the world, right? We want to conquer everything on our own. We want to, we want to solve the problems on our own. But, you know, what better way to learn than from others, someone else's failures, right? If someone else has already struggled through it, why not ask them how they got over it? And it's going to speed up the process of, of accomplishing what you want to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, like, I asked it that way because there's a lot of people that feel like they would feel weak. But then I want to reassure people, like, if anybody's listening to this, maybe hopefully it's people that that are interested in this topic, but it's just... When, when you're reaching out to somebody and you're looking for more communication, that is not a sign of weakness. Because I, I look at like our relationships and our connection with the people around us, whether it be friends, family, spouses, neighbors, uncles, aunts, dogs. Well, not dogs, but you know. You know what I mean. But like it's <laughs> oh, all of these connections. To, to dive deeper into them and get better at communication shows strength. It's like going to the gym and doing bicep curls while your arms are stronger. So when you go out into the world and you get a, a stronger bond with like a sibling or like one of your close friends and they are more empowered to help you, that's not you being weak at all. Like that is you training your your essence, your strength, your 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 mental health like mental health is a thing to be trained it is like you got to check in with your people that that's like putting in reps and every set is every person that you mm -hmm. check in with you know yeah well said man you nailed it, nailed it. <laughs> i mean i think that um i think our mental health is something that we forget about it's not like a broken arm or something that can just be easily and people know that you're hurt right and they see and they ask how you're doing. Where your mental health is, it acts the same way. You always have to, you know, you gotta keep feeding it the information that it needs. What you're putting into your mind is ultimately gonna determine your future. You know, if you, I think, and this is something I wrote as well, man, I think that we try at least our best to be kind to other people. You know, I think that um, some people could use some help with this category, but I think we do. We, we are kind to other people on the outside, but we're not very kind to our mind on the inside. And that was something that I really, really, really had to struggle or, or to find out. You know, I was very mean to myself internally. I was, oh, you're a failure. You're not going to accomplish this. And it wasn't until I started giving myself some some positivity, like, hey, man, you're doing all right. Just keep tracking. You know, just, just keep pushing forward and telling my mind, hey, you're going to get through it. You know, you are. And that was when I, I started being kind to myself when I started seeing um, things happen. You know, we got to be more kind to our mind. It's so true. Like, something that I tell a lot of people that I care about is I just say to them, you deserve nice things. And, like, they stop and they think about mm -hmm. it. And they, yeah. think, they think about what things 
are nice to them and sometimes that's a hug and sometimes that is just like self-esteem sometimes that's a job that they love sometimes that's just the feeling of love but it's a nice thing and they deserve it and sometimes people just need that little reminder yeah man that's good i might use that i might feel that perfect perfect that's <laughs> you awesome. write it in a book so i can't feel it <laughs> yeah I got it. it's a race now <laughs> Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, how did you get into being an author? Well, that was the thing, is I uh, had a journal that my sister had written a letter, and um, one of the last things she wrote in there was, um, I want this to become your, your journey journal. I want you to start writing, write your pains, write your, write everything. You know, write letters to people, write, um people that you've heard, right, writing apology letters, whatever it is, and it becomes your journey journal. And that journey journal is, is what turned into the book that I have today. I wrote my entire story, everything that I, all the things I was trying to overcome, all the, um, and I, I didn't, again, I, I wasn't writing with the intention of writing a book. That was not my, that wasn't on my radar. I just was tracking my progress on how I'm overcoming these things and how I, you know, how terrible my life was. I wrote that list that I told you about earlier of all the things I hated about myself. That was That's on the first page of the journal, you know? So then I just went down the list and then I wrote the type of person I was and, and I wrote how I was, you know, overcoming this obstacle and this. And then I said, at the end of it, you know, and it's still not ending, it's still ongoing for the rest of my life, but I realized that I had a lot of content and that someone out there maybe you could use this. Maybe you can go, hey, you know, I'm struggling too. Like, how did he accomplish this? Or how did he get over this obstacle? And so this could be maybe turned into a book that could help someone. And so that's inevitably how I, how I did it. Um, and, you know, the writing wasn't, I was never a very good writer. Um, but I, again, I had a lot of help. And also I, I, I just went at it. It took me 11, 11 drafts to finally get it right. The first, first draft was very dark very like whoa dude this is you know I was, I was dealing with a lot emotionally so it was i poured out my whole heart in that first draft and um and then it it lightened up over the 5 11 that had, had a lot of humor in it finally and that's that's kind of me man i'm i i'm more of i like being humorful with the way i write i like laughing and you know telling dad jokes being dumb and um so I, I got a little bit light, lighter-hearted in that eleven trap. There's some, there's a lot of emotion there, obviously, but it's more relatable. I think that, um, and that's what it was missing in the first, the opening couple drafts was, I was way too emotional, and, and so I, you know, I lightened it up a little bit. It's got some humor, and um, finally, it's definitely not perfect, but it's, you know, the best I could have done in that in that time frame. I love it. That's mine. So. Something that I talk about a lot is like uh, a person's self-awareness. Like, you know how when a person knows himself really well, that will equip them to be more successful in the different things that they do? Because it's one thing to get to know somebody else, but it's another thing to get to know yourself. So you did that draft, like mm-hmm. you, you drafted it 11 times. What did you learn about yourself when in that process of writing that book? That I'm resilient, I'll say that, um, <laughs> because I, there were times when I wanted to take that thing and burn it and never look at it again, you know, um, but 
I needed a win, man. I really, I really did. I just needed to accomplish something. And I'd spent so long not accomplishing things and being such a terrible person that I finally learned that there is good in me. And my sister was right that, um, that all I had to do was dig really deep and find that good in me. And, and that I was resilient. I have a very high tolerance for pain and I know that. And, um, you know, not just physically, you know, but emotionally and mentally as well. I, I think that, you know, not to sound too conceited or anything like that, but I'm definitely mentally strong. Um, though I think that I am mentally weak a lot of times because I suffer from, you know, depression and those things. I think that anybody who battles severe depression is mentally strong and a lot more mentally strong than I think they are. I think um, so too. Because it's even... Yeah, man. Even getting up in the morning is a challenge when you're stuck. When you're when you're suffering, man, and you you hate everything about yourself, just to get up out of bed and go leave the house is, is a win, you know. So yeah, I learned. I could go on for days about all the things I learned about myself in those eleven drafts, man. But I learned that I have a community of people around me that will do anything to help me succeed. That was probably the main thing I learned. I thought that I was alone this whole time, but um, I started writing the book and, and people just came out of the works to help, you know, and, and I owe this, the book to them because they helped me, you know, and I learned that I'm resilient. I learned that, uh, I am funny objectively. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little biased in the sense that I think I'm funny because my dad jokes are funny, but everyone else hates them, but that's okay. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I learned a, a lot about myself, and and I'm very very grateful that I was able to get published and that it all worked out. And I have a lot more to do, but at least I got a win under my belt, man. There's no better feeling than getting a win. What was the process like to get published? Like, were you approached about it, or did you have to reach out to different companies, or, or what happened there? I was not approached by any means, and and I will say this. If you're struggling with severe depression, maybe don't write a book because you're going to get rejected a lot. <laughs> like, I got rejected time and time again, man, and I was not in a state of mind to get rejected, but I just kept at it. You know, I just kept, I must have submitted probably 40, 45 times to different publishers and literary agents. And finally, you know, by the grace of God, you know, I, I, I got lucky and, and, it, and it worked out. You know, it was, um, you just have to do things that are, there's so many blog articles, there's so many, you know, you go on Google and how do I get published? You type that in and then just hundreds of things come up and you start reading all of them. But what I realized was if I follow that same train of thought that everyone else is doing that, you know, I'm sure all these publishers and literary agents are reading the same thing over and over again. So I did something, I did that. I followed that for like the first 30 and then I did something off the wall a little later on I, I let in with a subject line that was abrupt, you know, and then I also um, carried that into a, um, a story that's in my book that's about, you know, me standing on a ledge, and, and it just kind of like, wow, opened the eyes, and I got a lot, I generated a lot more responses from that than I did from just doing the traditional way of, of doing publishing, you know, so it is, you kind of got to make it your own, you got to do your own, um, and I have, anyone that's trying to publish a book, um, I will gladly help and send. I'm thinking about writing an article 
um, just about that process on its own, just because I think there's a lot of people that are trying to get published that could use some help with that, and that might be something I attempt at doing because it's a, it's ruthless out there, man. It's so challenging. Totally. So I have a a friend that uh, like he battles with depression. And he's not trying to get a book published, but he's trying to get a new job. So, like, put yourself in his shoes. What would you do to be motivated in that situation? Because it's that same feeling of rejection, rejection, rejection. Like, the economy everywhere is not good. It's just not a good time to be looking for a job, you know? Yeah, it's not. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, One thing I would do is, I wouldn't, if I was speaking to your friend, I would tell him to not submit a resume to a bunch of random jobs to just try to get any job. I would tell him, and I have um, in my book a a thing that I did for this. I wrote out, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life after after the club thing failed and all that um, was ending. So I asked five people who I thought knew me the best. Um, you know, whether it be a parent, a friend, or whoever, I asked them to write 10 things that they thought I was good at and then 10 things they thought um, I could do for a job. So basically, it's like character traits on one side and on the other side, like actual jobs that they thought I could do, right? And so I gathered all that from all those different people, and then I wrote my own list. And I realized that there were similarities, like, from you know, all these different people are like, oh, like, well, maybe there are some things I'm good at. Here's my character traits on things that I'm, I'm strong at that other people see in me as well. And here are jobs that I can do, right? And I realized that all these people, you know, even on my own list, there were so many similarities from, from different things that people had said about me, right? So then I narrowed it down to one, you know, one common character trait and one common job, and I just decided to pursue that, right? So I think that we when we get into the state of mind of, of like, we have to get a job or we have to get this or we have to get that, it becomes our sole focus, right? So then we start sending out resumes or sending out whatever to everyone all, all over the place and we get rejected much of times because it's actually not what we truly want. I think if we take the time to decide exactly what it is we want and then pursue that with everything we have in us, you know, then we'll become more successful, right? So if, if maybe your friend sat down and went, what do I want? What do I want my life to look like? what's the exact job that I want and what do other people think I'm good at? And then took all that information and went, this is the job I want and this is the job I'm going to get. And then pursued only that job. You know, I think that he might be a little bit more successful that way. At least that's how it was for me. I totally agree. Like, I totally agree. And I think that's the great thing. Like what we're doing is we're expanding each other's community. Like we didn't know each other before this. Like, we randomly stumbled across each other on Instagram, which is super cool. And then yeah. all of a sudden, we become yeah. like we become like a support pillar for each other in some way, shape, or form. That's just like that's what happens when you're open to connection. All of a sudden, you get stronger yeah. because of your state of mind or your stance or your values. Which is a great segue to my next question for you: What are four of your core values? Things that you hold to be very, very important. Um, I would say authenticity is number one. I spent a lot of years lying and I don't lie anymore. I tell the truth. Um, empathy. I try to, I feel 
probably a lot more than others. I, I want to I wanna know the real you, the authentic you, right? And I want to figure out a way I can help. So I empathize with a lot of people. Um, so, I, yeah, I think love, love and empathy are probably two, you know, they're similar. Um, I do share love. Everyone I come in contact with, whether it be, you know, a person in the church, a person in the or it doesn't matter, I treat everyone the same, so I try to love people. Um, and uh, I want to say humor, but I feel like that's just not powerful. You know, I want to say, like, my core value is, like, I like being humorful, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's a cliche. Can I just put a dad joke at the end? Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe any loyalty, I think, Loyalty is not something that I I understood when I was younger about being loyal to the people that are around you, you know? Um, and I've had one friend in particular who I um, I mentioned earlier, I didn't say his name, but this guy I talk to you know, every, every day or every couple of days. But he taught me about loyalty. He taught me about um, standing up for what's right and standing up for what you believe in, but also standing up for the people that are in your corner, you know, and then being loyal to those people. And, um, a lot of that comes with authenticity and trust. And like I said earlier, but yeah, I think loyalty, I'm very loyal with, uh, the people that are in my life. I, I vouch for them. I don't talk behind their back. I, uh, I try to, if I'm going to say something behind their back, I also say it to their face, you know, so they know. Totally. I think those are really good core yeah. values. So, like, I, I would probably share most of those. I have the exact same ones pretty much. Wow. Which is cool. How awesome <laughs> it is that we met, man. So, yeah, I love exactly. it. So, like, with, with your book, like, you released it, it sold copies. Is that, like, is that your main employment, or do you do other stuff as well? Or, like, what what is life like you as far as career goes? Yeah, so um, that's my main, you know, my, I, I want to be an author and, and I want to be a writer, um, you know, speaker and um, maybe entrepreneur as well, I can add in there, but yeah, so I, that's probably my main income, but also my, um, I have a website where I sell, um, I have like my own clothing line, which is just mental health, it's, it's all driven around mental health, I donate a dollar per shirt sold to the um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, so yeah, I have you know, my clothing line on my site, and then I'm writing a second book as well. I also have a screenplay that I'm working on, and then um, I speak as well. So I speak on mental health and suicide prevention in, in high schools. I think that it's becoming very troubling, but traditionally there was, you know, a, Older white males, maybe 55 and over, were the most at risk for suicide. Um, but now it's becoming even as low as elementary schools and teens that are more at risk for suicide these days. And I want to end that. I want to, you're much too young to be that hopeless, you know. And so I try to speak as much as I can in, in different high schools and in different teens around the country. I I'm on board with that. I'm on the same page. That's why we're talking about mental health on my podcast. It's just so important. Like, we can't talk about it enough, which is the beautiful thing about November. Like, uh, is November a big thing in California? It is, yeah. It is. That's awesome. Are you growing a stash? 
I think my girlfriend would absolutely kill me if I grew a stash. <laughs> what the hell? No, but I, uh, I'm not saving it. <laughs> uh, I'm not saving. Yeah, I'm not saving at all. Well, there you go. That's, that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question that I ask um, all of my guests. And that question is, okay. if you could give one piece of advice on how to live your life to the fullest in the most authentic way what would that piece of advice be in two words I would say keep fighting um, you never know what happiness is on the other side of that darkness that you're fighting with so I always say keep fighting that's incredible keep fighting. That, that is so unique and empowering so I'm glad that I had you on today mm -hmm. Oh, thank you, man. I'm honored to be here. I'm looking forward to continuing a friendship with you, man. You seem like a really, really awesome person. Thank you. So if you've made it this far, my thing that I want to leave you with is find five people that you see every day and ask them like one more question than you normally would. You know how when it's like, hey, how are you? Good, you? And that's it. Ask them another question. Ask them uh, how, how they started their day. Find out more about somebody, you know? Because I think honestly, we just sort of fall to complacency when it comes to our interactions with others. But that's just me being me. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.